Welcome to Dear Sarah, a Sarah J. Mass podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Adams, self-proclaimed Sarah J. Mass theorist and analyst. This episode and all episodes may contain spoilers for all of the Sarah J. Mass universe. If you haven't read all of the books, please proceed with caution. I will try to give warnings before I mention universe connections and spoilers, but shit happens. On today's episode, this is a mini-sode where I'm going to be diving in specifically to the mural that's in Tamlin's library slash study. When I was going over, like when I was doing episode four, the main episode chapters 11 through 15, I realized that there's so much in this that it truly needed its own mini-sode to like do it justice. This episode will contain spoilers uh, for the Sarah J. Mass universe, for the rest of Akatar, potentially crossovers to other books, I'm just going to tell you that now so I don't have to tell you before I say them. I'm going to start this episode off by just reading this entire passage. I know it's a lot. It's like one, two, three, four, four pages. But to truly like you guys can open to this like spot with me, but I'm just going to read it so then we can break it down. So I am reading from chapter 13, page 114. I suppose the study was more of a library, as I couldn't see any of the walls thanks to the small labyrinths of stacks flanking the main area in the mezzanine dangling above, covered wall-to-wall in books. But study sounded less intimidating. I meandered through some of the stacks, following a trickle of sunlight to a bank of windows on the far side. I found myself overlooking a rose garden, filled with dozens of hues of crimson and pink and white and yellow. I might have allowed myself a moment to take in the colors gleaming with dew under the morning sun, had I not glimpsed the painting that stretched along the wall beside the windows. Not a painting, I thought, blinking as I stepped back to view its massive expanse. No, it was, I searched for the word in that half-forgotten part of my mind. Mural. That's what it was. At first, I could do nothing but stare at its size, at the ambition of it, at the fact that this masterpiece was tucked back here for no one to ever see as if it was nothing, absolutely nothing, to create something like this. It told a story with the way colors and shapes and light flowed, the way the tone shifted across the mural, the story of, of Perithian. It began with a cauldron, a mighty black cauldron held by glowing slender female hands in a starry endless night. Those hands tipped it over, golden sparkling liquid pouring out over the lip. No, not sparkling, but effervescent, with small symbols, perhaps some of the ancient fairy language. Whatever was written there, whatever it was, the contents of the cauldron were dumped into the void below, pulling on the earth to form our world. The map spanned the entirety of our world, not just the land on which we stood, but also the seas and the larger continents beyond. Each territory was marked and colored, some with intricate, ornate depictions of beings who once rolled over lands that now belong to humans. All of it I remembered with a shudder, although the world had once been theirs, at least as far as they believed, crafted for them by the bearer of the cauldron. There was no mention of humans, no sign of us here. I supposed we'd been as low as pigs to them. It was hard to look at the next panel. It was so simple, yet so detailed, that for a moment I stood there on that battlefield, feeling the texture of the bloodied mud beneath me, shoulder to shoulder with the thousands 
of other human soldiers lined up, facing the fairy hordes who charged at us, a moment of pause before the slaughter. The human arrows and swords seemed so pointless against the high fae in their glimmering armor, or the fairies bristling with claws and fangs. I knew, knew without another panel to explicitly show me the humans hadn't survived that particular battle. The smear of black on the panel beside it, tinged with glimmers of red, said enough. Then another map of a much reduced fairy realm. Northern territories had been cut up and divided to make room for the high fae, who had lost their lands to the south of the wall. Everything north of the wall went to them. Everything south of the wall was left as a blur of nothing, a decimated, forgotten world as if the paint painter couldn't be bothered to render it. I scanned the various lands and territories now given to the high fae. Still so much territory, much mon monstrous power spread across the entire northern part of our world. I knew that they were ruled by kings or queens or councils or empresses, but I'd never seen a representation of it or how much they'd been forced to concede to the south and how crammed their lands were now in comparison. Our massive land had fared well for Perithian by comparison, with only the bottom tip given over to us miserable humans. The bulk of the sacrifice was borne by the southernmost of the seven territories, a territory painted with crocuses and lambs and roses, the Springlands. I took a step closer until I could see the dark, ugly smear that acted as the wall, another spiteful touch by the painter. No markers in the human realm, nothing to in indicate anything of the larger towns or centers, but I found the rough area where our village was, the woods that separated it from the wall. Those two-day journeys seemed so small, too small, compared to the power lurking above us. I traced the line, my finger hovering over the paint, up over the wall, into these lands, the lands of the spring court. Again, no markers, but it was filled with, a touch, with touches of spring, trees in bloom, fickle storms, young animals. At least, I was to live out my days in one of the more moderate courts, weather-wise, a small consolation. I looked northward and stepped back again. The six other courts of Perithian occupied a patchwork of territories. Autumn, summer, and winter were easy enough to pick out. Then above them, two glowing courts. The southernmost one a softer, redder palette. The dawn court above in bright yellow, bright gold and yellow and blue. The day court. And above that, perched in a frozen, mountainous spread of darkness and stars, the sprawling massive territory of the night court. There were things in the shadows between those mountains, little eyes, gleaming teeth, a land of lethal beauty. The hair on my arms rose. I might have examined the other kingdoms across the seas that flanked our lands, like the isolated fairy kingdom to the west that seemed to have gotten away with no territory loss and was still law unto itself had I not looked into the heart of that beautiful, living map. In the center of the land, as if it were the core around which everything else had spread, or perhaps the place where the cauldron's liquid had first touched, was a small, snowy mountain range. From it rose a mammoth, solitary peak, bald of snow, bald of life, as if the elements refused to touch it. There were no more clues about what it might be, nothing to indicate its importance, and I suppose the viewers were already supposed to know. This was not a mural for human eyes. With that thought, I went back to my little table. At least I learned the layout of their lands, and I knew to never, ever go north. So, there's a lot here. We're going to start at the beginning. First, it's interesting that this is a mural, that this is painted, and Feyre paints. Feyre knows, like, she feels the 
like emotions and like she feels paintings if that makes sense like when Feyre observes the paintings in the gallery front that the fairies have painted she almost is like entranced and enthralled by those paintings and it's almost like the same thing happens here she's almost hypnotized by this mural and she's looking at it and like feeling all of this like four pages worth of information as she's looking at this mural and I think that goes that like is important and it says more about Feyre's artist abilities and like what that might actually mean for Feyre like even as a human like she has this ability this artistry ability that's not just it's not normal you know like there's something about it it is the story of Prithian and it all began with a cauldron so this cauldron is a black cauldron and it's held by glowing slender female hands in a starry endless night and the cauldron is full of a sparkling liquid and it's not just sparkling but it's effervescent and in this golden liquid there are small symbols and she believes they are of an ancient fairy language so a couple things first we're gonna look up the meaning of effervescent so of a liquid it means giving off bubbles or fizzy also can mean vivacious and enthusiastic so it's not this liquid is not sparkling like it's not full of glitter or stars but it is bubbly effervescent think of like like if you open up like a seltzer water like um like a bubbly or if you open up a white claw or a truly like that like bubbly effervescent like full of life i guess is like what we're trying to get at and it's full of small symbols perhaps an ancient fairy language i would i love to think that these symbols they're actually word marks of course, Feyre wouldn't know that they're word marks because it's an ancient fairy language. First off, she can barely read English. <laughs> she barely understands the English alphabet or whatever alphabet that they're speaking. But I'm just assuming that it's English. Who knows what they actually speak? So how can we expect her to know or recognize word marks? That's not something that she would know. And that's not really something that we see in the Akatar world. But if you've read Throne of Glass you can assume with me that these are word marks so yeah we're just gonna go with the fact that these are word marks that are in the bubbling full of life liquid that is in the cauldron and this liquid was dumped into the void unfortunately it does not have a capital v i wish the void was capitalized here and it pulls onto the earth to form our world whoever is holding this cauldron i like to think that it is the mother use the cauldron to create a world Perithian and all of the other continents on this world we don't know what this world is called it doesn't have a name to us yet but it's formed this entire world so if the cauldron can form a world when they use the cauldron later what would be the chances that that incident also formed a world because it was a getting ready to destroy their world that they like life as they knew it that the cauldron made their world and it was ready to rip it right back out they're like the cauldron's like whatever you guys didn't listen to me you put me back together i'm destroying this bitch but it didn't like they stopped it so like what did the cauldron do instead that's like the my biggest question like what di what did the cauldron do instead in that moment but i'm getting ahead of myself here because we're talking about the mural so that just that paragraph that's a lot it's interesting 
that the mural does not really take into consideration humans. But I mean, like, why would it? This mural is in the fairylands. It was probably painted by a fairy of some kind. Why this mural is in Tamlin's study is a big question mark. Like, why is it there? Why does he have it? Why does it live in Tamlin's library instead of like we later we see other libraries in the Akatar world like why wouldn't it be in the library with all the acolytes I think that would be a better place for this are there multiple copies of this mural does each court have this mural um I don't remember seeing this in the night court so why does Tamlin have it who painted this for Tamlin and Tamlin's family those are great questions, but those are questions that I don't have answers to. It makes sense that this mural was not made with or with the intention of humans seeing it. And we know that uh, the Spring Court, if this mural was intent was originally intended for the Spring Court, that the Spring Court history, um, they did not really like humans. So, of course, it was painted in this lens where they don't really care about the humans like they didn't detail the human lands it's not the information on it the painter almost anticipated that a fairy would be looking at it so they didn't need to put details on it because they would just know she mentions that there's like panels i'm imagining like the map with the cauldron at the top and like then all of the like prithian highburn like a map and then the next panel is like a battle how Feyre reacts to this next panel is like interesting Feyre herself almost becomes like a part of the battle she says that it was hard to look at the next panel it was so simple yet so detailed that for a moment I stood there on that battlefield feeling the texture of the bloodied mud beneath me she felt like she was shoulder to shoulder with thousands of other humans, soldiers lined up. And she felt a moment of pause before the slaughter. Like, Feyre became part of that panel of the mural. Like, she put herself in that and she could feel, like, what the painter was, like, imagining or, like, what they were depicting. That paragraph is so interesting to me. Like, she can see, like, this battle, like, take place in her head. And so I've mentioned this briefly in a couple of episodes. I think that Feyre has like Fey lineage. So of course, if that were true, she would feel the emotion of this mural because this mural was painted for fairies. So the fairy part of Feyre that I am, that is my headcanon, understands the mural. I also believe that Feyre's painting is part of her I guess I would call it like magic that she had prior to going in the cauldron she several times throughout the book Feyre is able to paint things before they happen I'm just gonna go out all out and say this so Elaine becomes a seer when she's changed in the cauldron and I think that seer ability actually comes from whatever fae lineage they have so I was talking about how I think the fae lineage comes from Feyre's mother however there has to be some part of Feyre's father I think is the seer part Feyre's father is almost known for like staring off into the distance and then spouting off these like I don't know they're almost kind of like 
ancient Chinese proverbs, but they're not. They're like ancient Archeron, Father Archeron proverbs. Like he says that like they need like hope more as much as they need like bread and meat, that Feyre needs to imagine like a better world, a better life, that Feyre, that she's too good for this world, for everyone that she needs to make a name for herself. When we see Papa Archeron, a lot of the time he is staring off into the distance. Later in Akasif, when Fate when Elaine is having some of her seer moments, she's staring off into the distance. So you can't tell me that their seer abilities did not come from Pap- Papa Archeron. How did Papa Archeron know to go and get what's their faces to help in the war? To come at that time. I mean, he know he knows more than he's letting us know. That's all I have to say. But Feyre used that seer ability or whatever ability that she had gotten from Papa Archeron, but it manifests itself in her painting. Uh, we see that she painted the adder in Akatar accurately before she even saw the adder for the first time. She painted the drawers um, with the night sky, the flames, and the flowers for her and her sisters accurately. Um, she painted Cassian getting harmed in the battlefield before it happened these things like Feyre has this ability and it manifests itself through her paintings so it only makes sense that Feyre is able to read this mural and enter into the scene that was painted even though that scene this mural was made specifically for fairies does any of that make sense because it makes sense in my head so okay first panel is the map with the cauldron pouring onto the the earth Second panel is the battlefield. The next panel is just tinged with glimmers of red. She said she knew what that meant. It's just a panel with red on it. And she knew that that meant that the humans didn't survive that battle. That's it. It's just a black panel with smears of red. And she said she knew what that meant. And then another map. So this is a fourth panel. It is a much reduced fairy realm. So The first map is the realm before the battle. The battle happened. Death happened. Next panel is the fairyland that we know. I like to think that it is the map that we have in the front of the book. Um, This reduced fairylands. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like to think that that the last panel is this. Especially because there there is a cauldron in the top corner of both corners um i just noticed that that's pretty uh pretty neat another thing to note here is that again it says a decimated forgotten world as if the painter couldn't be bothered to render it so that's everything south of the wall so the human lands uh like they couldn't even be bothered to like put anything there it was just a blur of nothing I might have examined the other kingdoms across the seas that flanked our land, like the isolated fairy kingdom to the west that seemed to have gotten away with no territory loss, and it was still law unto itself, had I not looked into the heart of that beautiful living map. So this is like the last panel, and she said she would have looked at the other kingdoms, so not Perithian, but the heart of this map, living map. So when you think of Akatar, you think of the three mountains with the three stars on top. So that is at the center, the very core around which everything had spread, or perhaps the place where the cauldron's liquid had first touched, was a small snowy mountain range. From it arose a mammoth solitary peak. Okay, so we're going to flip to the map in the middle. It's under the mountain. But under the mountain is Perithian's sacred mountain, and it is in the middle. Um, It borders the winter court 
to the south and the Dawn Court to the north. Um, I'm reading from A Court of Thorns and Roses fandom wiki. Under the mountain's entrance is two ancient, enormous stone doors taller than Tamlin's Manor, which led into the vast chamber carved from the pale rock upheld by carved pillars. The carvings depicted fairies and high fae and animals in various environments and states of movement stories of perithian chandeliers of jewels hung between the pillars staining the red marble floor with its color this led to the throne room there were many other passageways and rooms within the mountain including dungeon cells luxurious bedroom suites and the middengard worms maze amarantha fashioned and modeled under the mountain after the famed court of nightmares however i'm pretty sure i remember that fa- that amarantha didn't carve out the court that court was there she just decorated it based off of the court nightmares under the mountain was a sacred space for perithian located in the middle it's unclaimed territory and it was a neutral meeting space until um amarantha basically uh you know soiled it it's funny that they keep saying that it's the sacred mountain but it has no name that's interesting i think under the mountain just got super more important to the universe than than i thought originally so if under the mountain that peak that mountain is the place where the cauldron's liquid first touched that i think is super important the mountain is known to be sacred to all of the courts it is not even part of any court like it is its own thing if you're from the united states it's kind of like how washington dc is not part of any state it's its own thing under the mountain is its own thing it's not part of any territory so when Feyre is talking about this mountain peak, it says there's no more clues about what it might be, nothing to indicate its importance, and I suppose the viewers were already supposed to know. Fairies know why under the mountain is important, <clears throat> not just because Amarantha started holding court there, but because this mountain is sacred outside of that. Um, I have a theory that Amarantha is Valg, and makes itself more appar- apparent when we when we learn about amarantha's description um she does have the black eyes like someone who has vow like a valg prince inside of them or a valg inside of them if amarantha is valg it makes sense that she made court under the mountain because i believe that under the mountain is the site of a gate into another world because that is where the cauldron first poured its liquid to create it so the place that it first touched it only makes sense that it there's so much power touched under the mountain first that it would only make sense that it created a gate into other worlds so i think that just makes sense why amaretha chose under the mountain uh for her place because she is commanding all of the creatures that are coming into the Akatar lands, Spring Court, other courts. Where did they all come from? There has to be a gate for them to get in. They're not creatures of Prithian. They came from somewhere else. Amarantha let them in through the gates under the mountain. Boom. What do you think about that? Yeah. So that is me. Uh going deep diving into the mural none of that is i don't know if any of that's true but that's what i think if you agree with me disagree with me let me know i would love to know if i'm completely out there and that uh nobody else agrees with what i say or if other people agree with what i say i would love to know that i'm not crazy i would love it if you would write in 
to me on Instagram at Dear Sarah Bookcast, or you can send me an email uh, at Dear Sarah Bookcast at gmail.com. If you want to stay up to date um, on all the episodes and news and if episodes are going to be delayed, a good thing to do is to follow me on Dear Sarah Bookcast because that's the first place I'm going to post updates uh, for the podcast. If you want exclusive content, including uh, deep dive annotations, I'm going to post my annotations from this, these couple pages um, on my Patreon you can subscribe and become a Patreon for less than a cup of coffee, and that money directly supports me and this podcast. What that means is that if I need to buy new equipment, I will use the Patreon money to do that. Right now, I am buying everything for this podcast out of pocket, but you can, if you're interested in other things that I do that involve books, uh, you can follow my uh, book reviews at Tiny Book Lover or you can follow my book Etsy store at Moonlight Books Co. on Instagram and TikTok. My TikTok is not just for my Etsy store. It's basically just all of my book stuff. It's my book reviews, this podcast, and my Etsy store. It's all on Moonlight Books Co. on TikTok. I know that's confusing, but I don't know how else to do it. Thank you for listening and happy reading.